I thought of a story that about two friends who were literally inseparable. They did everything together. And then World War I beckoned. And so they enlisted together. They trained together. And then they were shipped overseas together. And then they were fighting in the European theater side by side together. And on one particular day, as the battle was heating and there was a, a withering firepower, one of the friends was asked to go further from the trenches. But the rest of them can see how he was wounded, and it, was, it looked like so serious, a fatal wound. And the friend who was in the trenches immediately wanted to jump and go to help him until the sergeant yanked him back, and he said to him, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're going to get yourself killed. You can't do that. He's already dead. When the sergeant turned his back, a few minutes later, the friend ran toward his friend, who was now dying. And a few minutes later, the man who ran to rescue his friend was himself wounded seriously and fatally. But he came back to the trenches carrying his dead friend on his shoulder. And the sergeant was betwixt between anger and deeply moved by such incredible friendship. Looked at the man in the trenches. He said, he's dead and you are dying. It just was not worth it. And with his last breath, the friend said, Oh, yes, it was, Sarge. Yes, it was. Because when I got there, the last words he said, I knew you would come, Jim. I knew you would come. And he died. It was worth it. We've been talking about eternal friendships. And we saw that for understanding and for practice of eternal friendships among those who love God, it has to begin with understanding and accepting and being in relationship with the one friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, without whom friendships are meaningless, without whom friendships are temporary, without whom friendships are shallow and superficial. And then we saw in the last message how the friendship between Jonathan and David, that eternal friendship was marked by encouragement and was marked by support and was marked by affirming one another. And today, I want to talk to you about the dividends, the rich dividends of loyalty as a result of loyalty in eternal friendships. Loyalty such as we have just seen in the story from World War I. Loyalty in eternal friendships causes the friend to be there when he or she has every reason not to be there. Loyalty in eternal friendships causes the friend to be there when it is extremely costly to be there. Eternal friendships causes the friend to be there when no one else can be there. A small boy was trying to describe 
eternal friendships without, of course, using the words. He said, a real friend is someone who knows all about you and likes you just the same. In the Middle East, there is a saying that goes something like this, that a real friend, a loyal friend, is a friend with whom you sit, and you hand him over the wheat together with the chaff, and he takes him in his hand, and he blows the chaff away and then hand you back the wheat. That is loyalty in eternal friendships. But Proverbs 17, 17 said it best. A friend loves all the time, and a brother is born for adversity. One of the great stories that reveals this rich dividends that comes as a result of loyalty in eternal friendship is found in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Let me tell you the story first before I go to the text. The story is simply this. It's a story about a loyal person who exercised loyalty and friendship and then was paid dividends by God Himself. And it begins this way. During the time of the judges in the Old Testament, after the people of God came from the slavery of Egypt into the wilderness, then they were taken into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Way after Joshua died, Israel fell on a very hard time, hard time of their own making. And the reason they were going through a hard time that was of their own making is because they were doing exactly what God told them in the wilderness not to do. God said the temptation for you when you get into the promised land is that you're going to trust in the gods of the fertility. You're going to trust in the foreign gods. You're going to trust in idols. You're going to turn your heart away from me. Be careful not to do that. And that's exactly what they did. And so during the time of the judges, they went through this dark period in their life. In fact, some historians consider it to be one of the darkest times in the history of Israel. The Bible said everybody was doing what is right in their own eyes. It was time of upheaval. It was time of moral failure. It was a time of severe testing. It was a time of temptation. It was a time of being enticed by the surrounding corrupt culture. It was a time of being obsessed with finding the secrets for prosperity. It was a time for looking to Baal and the fertility gods for blessings instead of Yahweh. It was a time when God's people found it easier to conform to the current of culture than to be obedient to Yahweh. That's how it was. It was a terrible time. And in the middle of this oblivion to the power and the blessing of God that has blessed them for years and years and years, took them out of the slavery of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, provided for them supernaturally and miraculously. In that time of oblivion to the blessings of God of the past, catastrophe struck. Famine hit the land. And so a man by the name of Elimelech, but he had a wife by the name of Naomi. And he had two sons by the name of Mahlon and Kilion. So that family of four moved into the land of Moab, south of Bethlehem. They were living in Bethlehem of Judea where Jesus was born. And that trip was merely 40 miles in distance. But beloved, listen to me. 
It was a million miles away morally. It was a million miles away spiritually. It may only be 50 miles from Jerusalem, but they have gone as far as they could. And this good family left the promised land and went to the land of the enemy. This family went from the land of Jehovah to the land of Baal. They went from the land of fellowshipping with the believers to the land of fellowshipping with pagans. In fact, they went to Moab to escape death. They went to escape famine because they thought this is the way to get out there, at least temporarily, in order to survive. But three of the four died in Moab. Elimalek family settled in the land of Moab. The two boys married two local girls, Baal worshippers. And the short stay to escape the famine turned into ten years. Now, beloved, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I want you to hear me right. Be careful. In fact, always be careful when you think that you can handle temptation without falling into the temptation. Always be careful when you think that you can be in a relationship with an unbeliever only temporarily. These temptations have a way of turning into permanent stay. And there is a curse, not a blessing. During that time, the father and the two boys died. They had no children. And so, in fact, none of them could have imagined in their wildest imagination when they left Bethlehem to go to Moab, none of them would have imagined that such a tragedy would have occurred. When they made that 50-mile trek from Jerusalem or from Bethlehem, did not realize that the utopia is going to turn into agony of soul, that the dream has turned into a hellish nightmare, uh, that the desire for prosperity turned into grinding poverty. But here's the problem. Back then, you got three widows, and back then, a widow who does not have a male relative to support her was worse than a destitute. That's how it was. And so Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law and says, you go back to your gods, you go back to your country, you go back to your families, because now I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, and I'm hoping against hope that my God shall provide a male relative who can provide for me. In her bitter experience, Naomi wanted to be alone. Sometimes when we experience bitterness in life, we feel we want to be alone. We don't want to talk to anybody. And yet, that's the wrong time to be alone. In her generosity, though, she wanted her daughters-in-law to go back and experience some happiness in life, have maybe remarry and have children experience some sort of joy after this sorrow. One girl, Orpah, said, okay, if that's what you want me to do, I'll go back. And she left. But the other daughter-in-law by the name of Ruth, and remember this again, Ruth was a Gentile, a pagan, idol worshiper, but the Bible names the book after her. I'm going to come to that in a minute. Ruth would not go back. Ruth was a loyal friend. 
She was loyal to her mother-in-law. She was willing to cast her lot with Naomi. Now, let me read to you from the Bible at this point in the history of Israel. Turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. I brought you all the way in this story to this point. At this, this after Naomi told her two daughters-in-law to go back, at this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped arguing with her. Father, there's so much wealth in your word, and yet we live in poverty because we fail to grasp your way of dealing with your people because that is your way of dealing with us. This is your character. That's who you are. And so, Father, I pray today that you remind us afresh that you are a loyal God, that you're a great God, and that you seek loyal followers. Might this be the lesson today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many preachers use this text as a sermon for weddings. Uh, While it's wonderful because it uh, connotes the loyalty and the commitment that should be in a marriage, but the principle is even greater than that. Although marriage, of course, is a supreme place where commitment and loyalty should be exercised. But in all eternal friendships, loyalty is what God is looking for. Listen carefully. I have learned through the years in moving around the globe and talking to people and experiencing different experiences in, in management and in other places that a person either a loyal or disloyal. But don't stop there because I've learned something even greater than this, more exciting than this. I learned that loyalty also can develop. Loyalty can be learned. Loyalty can be emulated. Loyalty can be experienced. I have learned that loyalty for the Lord Jesus Christ and loyalty to believers, to friends and eternal friendships can develop. And I have no doubt in this incident here in the book of Ruth, I have no doubt in my mind that it was Naomi's faith, that it was Naomi's testimony, that Naomi's trust in her God, that it was Naomi's God that exhibited in her life, that was manifested in her life, 
was the thing that attracted Ruth to her mother-in-law. I want you to hear me right, please. Because such loyalty is hard to comprehend in our fickle culture. Such loyalty is probably laughed at by some. Such loyalty is probably condemned by others. Some people probably think it's foolishness. Others think it's impractical. Others probably thought it's outmoded. Such loyalty which is indispensable in a true eternal friendship is what God exhibited with us. In fact, today's loyalty can only be described as temporary in its duration, limited in its benefits, and the benefits are received from the friendship. It's exercised only when it proves to be beneficial and helpful. But loyalty in eternal friendships walks with the friend down the road, even if the streetlights are not lit. It stays with the friend when everybody else leaves, loves the friend when everybody else does not, risks its own reputation when everybody else gives not a wit. And Ruth said, listen to her words. Ruth said, I don't care where you go. I don't care where you live. I don't care what kind of future you're going to have. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to face them with you. There's no doubt in my mind that somehow, deep down in Ruth's heart, said to Naomi, you saw Naomi trusting in Jehovah God. Though they were far away from the promised land, though they were far away from Yahweh, they were far away from Jerusalem, yet she saw her again and again in the midst of her agony, in the midst of her valley, trusting in the living God. She saw Naomi going through bitter experiences, but she herself never became bitter. She saw Naomi's faith to be in her mighty God. And she said to herself, I want that God. I want that God to be my God. I want that God to be my God. I want to worship Him. I want the God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's confident faith. Beloved, listen to me. Confident faith is always anchored in the God of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God rewards that faith in abundance. He really does. We're going to see that in a minute. God bless Ruth out of her socks. I mean, he just opened the windows of heaven. I'm going to show you in a minute. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the difference between confident faith and wishful thinking. You know, I have met many Christians who honestly confuse the two. Let me illustrate to you. I read the story many years ago about a woman who was on a cruise ship. And uh, throughout this cruise ship, she would go and look and gazes at the face of one man. Throughout the trip, dinner time, she'll find a place where she can be looking directly at that man. On the bridge, she would look at that man all the time. Well, after a few days of this, she began to freak this man out. <laughs> I mean, imagine. Oh, you see, everywhere he goes, this woman looking at him. Everywhere he goes, she's looking at him. And finally, he picked up the courage and went to her and said, No, ma'am. 
do I know you from somewhere? She said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know you. You don't know me. But you just remind me of my third husband. He said, well, that's nice. How many husbands have you had? She said, two. Now, that's called wishful thinking. Not anchored in faith. But listen, let me tell you about the rich dividends of loyalty in a confident faith. I can get emotional because I've experienced so many of the blessings of God myself. You see, when Naomi and Ruth headed back to Bethlehem, Ruth, that loyal friend, went immediately to work. It was worse, way below minimum wage. She wanted to support herself and her (laughs) mother-in-law. But instead, and I'm going to cut the story short here, instead of doing the job as below minimum wage, she ended up having lunch with the CEO in the executive suite. Isn't that great? But not only that, that CEO, that wealthy man, turned out to be her kinsman redeemer. You say, what's that? Well, in the Old Testament law, particularly Leviticus 25, the Bible said that when a a man dies, the nearest male relative can marry and provide an heir as well as provide for that widow. And so, this CEO, this, this man, Bowers, turned out to be her kinsman redeemer. Is her provider. Bowers was not only a godly man, Bowers was not only a good man and a wonderful man, but it did not hurt the situation to be rich. And so he ends up marrying Ruth. You say, wow, isn't that great? No, 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 that's not it. That hasn't begun yet. The dividends haven't even begun to materialize yet. That is not all the dividends that Ruth received for her loyalty to her friend, in her friendship, in her eternal friendship. She conceived, and she brought a boy into the world, and she named him Obed. When Obed grew up, he was married and had a boy, and he named him Jesse. And when Jesse grew up, he had a bunch of boys, and the youngest of them was named David. But that's not all. That's not the end of the road here. Although David was a king of Israel... And his great-grandmother was a Gentile woman, but God honored her, regardless of her race, regardless of her background. She honored God, and God honored her. She trusted God, and God trusted her, not only to be the great-grandmother of King David of Israel, but to be through whom the physical descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes. A Gentile woman. Give me a break. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is an honorable God. Ruth, a Gentile, a Moabite, become the physical descendants of David and the Messiah, the son of David. My friend, let me tell you something. I don't care what's practical and pragmatic and effective and convenient. Don't tell me what works. Show me loyalty, and I'll show you dividends paid sooner or later. It may take time, but it will pay, because it's going to be paid by God Himself. Indeed, Boaz Himself became a type of Christ in the Bible. 
He became a type of Christ who is our kinsman redeemer. Let me tell you about our kinsman redeemer. Do you want to hear about him? Let me tell you about our kinsman redeemer. You see, our kinsman redeemer found us in the fields of sin. Our kinsman redeemer found us in the fields of the misery of guilt. Our kinsman redeemer found us bound in chain of sin. And when nobody else would redeem, he redeemed us. When nobody else would come forward, he did. Our kinsman redeemer brings to us forgiveness of our sins. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who blesses us richly. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who provides for all of our needs. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who has us in the very hollows of his hands. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who comforts us with all comfort. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who is our tower of strength in times of trouble. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who is our fortress from our enemies. Our kinsman redeemer is the one whose everlasting arms are underneath us. Our kinsman redeemer is the one who rides the clouds for our help. That's our kinsman redeemer. Amen. Give God praise. Give God praise. So the question is, for you and for me, how about our loyalty to Him? What about our loyalty in eternal friendship? So about our loyalty to the bride of Christ, the church? What about that loyalty? We know He blesses and gives generous dividends for loyalty and friendship. And I want to tell you something. There is nothing will make an unbeliever sit up and take notice than seeing loyalty. You see, Jesus said, that's how they're going to know that you're my disciples. How? By going around and screaming and hollering. No, 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 no. He said, by having love one for another. That's how they're going to know it. In fact, we see it throughout the Bible in Exodus 18, when Moses is idol-worshiping father-in-law Jethro, when he hears of the great things of how God kept his word and honored his word and was loyal to Israel and delivered them from slavery and delivered them from the Red Sea. Jethro, the idol-worshiper, said, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. When the Nasser of Babylon saw the dividend loyalty payments to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego by the God of heaven, he said, your God is the Lord. You want the world to sit up and take notice of your God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Let them see your loyalty to him and his body. Ruth's willingness to pay the price of loyalty did not go unrewarded. And yours will not go unrewarded. Because the Bible said that he neither slumbered nor sleep. You see, others might not see it. Others might not reward you for it. But he's watching everything. He's watching everything. My friend, I want to tell you, the world does not need any more philosophers. The world does not need any more lecturing. What the world is desperate for is an authentic loyalty in eternal friendships. That loyalty, God blesses. Oh, my goodness, and when He blesses, watch out. Watch out, because He doesn't do things half measure. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Are you ready to receive some blessings? Are you ready to receive some blessings? Then begin by developing loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and loyalty to the body. Father, only your Holy Spirit can do significant, lasting, eternal work in our hearts. Lord, you taught me many years ago that words can be cold, whether they are on paper or spoken, unless your Holy Spirit breathes upon these words. And so my cry to you is that don't allow those words to go in one ear and come out the other. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will imprint them on our hearts and our cortex of our brains and our minds and our wills. Father, I pray that homes will be blessed. Marriages will be restored. Relationships that are strange be healed. Father, I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to penetrate every heart that is listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.